Barbara with us this morning. If you don't know me, I'm Mike Sainz, the lead pastor here. And Kelly and I just returned from Nashville from the Church of God International General Assembly. And uh, we had a wonderful time there. So I, I greet you uh, in the name of, of the Lord, but also our new general overseer, Dr. Um, <clears throat> Tim Hill, and our new state overseer, Brother Gary Lewis. Uh, I'm excited about uh, what's going to happen and what God's got in store for the church in these next months uh, and years as the Lord tarries. I would be remiss if I didn't say a thank you to Brother Frank for the wonderful job that I heard he done on Wednesday night. Give him a hand, would you? <clears throat> thank you for speaking. And also for um, Brother Ken Smith, our associate who held the fort and while I was away and uh, these other brothers that are on staff and uh, Sister Tanya there in the office. Let's give them a hand, would you? <laughs> While Kelly and I was in Nashville, I had uh, our youth pastor and connections pastor, Brother Josh and Sister Ashley, down at uh, Nelson Searcy's Eight Church Systems Boot Camp. <clears throat> and I understand that uh, they were down there for four days. I think the school was three days, and he said, Pastor... I want to thank you for sending me, but we got to work every morning at 8 o'clock, and sometimes at 8 o'clock that night, we were still digging. I said, listen, we paid good money for you to attend that boot camp, and we wanted you and Ashley to get everything out of it. <laughs> so anyway, um, they're teaching, I believe, in H-Track right now. I believe that, no, there she is, but uh, he may be teaching. But So nonetheless, I'm excited. Um, I asked her if her hand was cramping because she took about 40 pages of notes and, uh, but nonetheless, Kelly and I and uh, uh, Adam and Chelsea had an opportunity about four years ago to attend that same boot camp, and much of what we do today and much of where we are right now uh, was birthed in some of those classes and some of those sessions uh, that, that taught us some of the things that, uh, that we are doing and winning people today. Uh, I know that in the next couple of weeks, I'll be taking some of our staff to City Life Church in Tampa, where uh, Brother Tony Stewart pastors, not the race car driver, but uh, nonetheless, um, they, he took that church from a handful that they're now reaching over 3,500 people in Tampa, and so I'm excited about the direction that God has for the church and um, what, what he's planning to do. So if you've been with us any length of time, you know that we were in the midst of our You Ask For It series, and then all of this foolishness happened in the few weeks ago where, um, you know, a, a bunch of black guys got shot by cops, and now a bunch of cops got shot by black men, and then people went crazy in France and ran a truck into 84 people and killed them, and just a day or so ago, somebody done some foolishness shooting in Munich, Germany, and... All of these things, and so I decided three weeks ago to take a break from the You Asked For It series, and we will rejoin that next week, um, but I wanted to deal with the crisis in America because I felt like the church had to speak to the crisis in America and the cultural differences, so I preached a message entitled Crisis in America two weeks ago, and on last week, we had Dr. Damon Brantley, a local surgeon, come in. He's a friend of mine great man of God, man of integrity, and he preached two different messages, one at the 9 o'clock, the choice of America, um, and then uh, he talked about the opportunity of uh, America, 
or rather the impossibility, thank you, Holy Spirit, the impossibility of America, that we shouldn't be here, but we are. I want to urge you to go to youtube.com, uh, type in a search for The Harbor Worship Center, and when our logo pops up, subscribe to that channel. We also are on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can get the podcast anywhere, so if you travel and you want it in your ear um, or you work a job that you're allowed to have earbuds or whatever, that's great. But Dr. Brantley done a wonderful, wonderful job, and so I wanted to come now and try to tie it up uh, with a question, where do we go from here? In a meeting just before I left uh, for the assembly, my son, Adam, asked the question. He said, well, where do we go from here? And I said, you know, that, that's probably a good title, that we should tie this Crisis in America, the Cultural Differences series up. And so that's what I intend to do. And I want to, if the Lord would help me, to answer that question before we leave, where do we go from here? <clears throat> We still have on the streets a black man with his hands in the air shot. I don't know all the details. I just know that happened. We also have blacks killing blacks and whites killing whites. And we've got the white people saying this about the blacks and the blacks saying this about the whites. And somewhere in the middle is the Hispanics and the Asians and so on and so forth. Um, and I, I just want to tell you that in my study as I have learned, racism has always existed. Uh, for hundreds of years, now, now I, I want to, first of all, race or different races is a misnomer, to be honest. We, we talk about the black race and the white race and the Asian race. That, that, that's a misnomer. To be honest with you, scientists today admit that biologically there is only one race, and that is the, the human race. For instance, a scientist at the Advancement of Science Convention in Atlanta stated that race is a social construct derived mainly from perceptions conditioned by events of recorded history and has no basic biological reality. The Bible does not use the word race in reference to people, but it does describe all human beings as being of one blood. <clears throat> wow, so we do know that we all did descend from Eve, the mother of all living. So what I want to say is that racism has existed, but blind allegiance to any color or creed will not fix what's wrong with America. Adhering to long-held beliefs will not fix what's wrong with our country. Um, white supremacy did not fix what's wrong with our country. The KKK did not fix it. Black power did not fix it. The Black Panthers and their new movement did not fix it. In fact, both of these groups that I mentioned, the white supremacists and the black power, only serve to exacerbate the problem and make it worse than what it is. Taking sides out of ignorance is not going to fix it either. There are those who take sides and say, well, uh, just because a certain figure believes this way, that boy must be right. I told a story earlier today where a woman cooking a pot roast, she always just cut the ends off of it, and then her daughter grew up and got married, and she's cooking a roast for, you know, dinner, and she takes a knife and cuts the ends off of the roast and it goes on and on. And finally her husband, I said, honey, why do you cut them ends off of the roast like that? 
Uh, she said, well, I don't know. I called Mama. So she called Mama and said, well, uh, you know, I just done it because your grandmama done it. And so finally they called one day. Grandma's up in her years now and said, Grandma, why, or great-grandma, why is it that you cut the ends of the pot roast off? And she said, well, I don't know why y'all do it, but it wouldn't fit in the pot that I had. And so oftentimes we do things just because, you know, Grandma done it. Just because great-grandma done it. And then we grew up with certain racial thoughts. I did. You probably did as well. At least the panel of black and white and blue that I've talked to talked to me about things that are just long-held views and some of them in ignorance. Holding on to those things and taking sides in ignorance isn't going to fix it. The gotcha kind of politics is not going to do it. In other words, this other black man got shot, and we say, well, gotcha, some white man shot him, and he might have been white. I don't know, it could have been Mexican, I don't know, Hispanic. I don't know who shot him, but all I know is it looked like he had his hands up to me, and somebody shot him. But the gotcha kind of politics without all of the details is not going to fix it. Uh, taking sides like that, uh, and let me just say this, killing police officers is sure not going to fix it. I understand the, the black movement was pretty upset because some white guys had shot some, and you know what? If they shot them in, a, in that way and it was undeserved, they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, without a doubt. But that does not justify me loading a rifle and going killing cops just because I disagree with what one or two of them done. That would be just like you coming to shoot me because some other preacher done something stupid. And there's enough preachers doing things stupid. So anyway, let me. But here's what I want you to know. These things that we have tried, the racism, the taking sides in ignorance, the killing of cops and the black power and the white power and all that, these are things that did not work. We've tried these too long to no avail. They only created a further uh, divide among us. Now, here's what I know when I look at the Scripture. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 and 7 that Samuel was going down to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite, to anoint a king over Israel for the Lord. Now, now when Jesse found out he was coming, he lined his boys up. And he had, I want to say it was like seven of them. And so he put Eliab out first and then Shammah and uh, uh, I can't remember all their names, but boy after boy, and some say it might have been the smartest. It might have been the, you know, the most intelligent. It might have been the, the stockiest one, the one that was built the best. I mean, they tried to put their best foot forward. But the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, do not look on his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Now let me put a little mycology in there. Don't pay no attention to whether he's black don't pay no attention to whether he's red or Indian or white or Asian. Don't look at the outward appearance. It doesn't matter if he's stocky and bowed up uh, like Mike Tyson. doesn't matter. He said, I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So, you, you got to understand that we have to look at men and women. Go ahead and praise the Lord. So often we have looked on the outside. 
And we judged a man because of his skin color. We judged someone because of their race, their ethnicity, or their social status, their W-2 form, their pedigree. And God says, don't make the mistake of judging somebody by these things because I, God in heaven, don't judge people by these things. God chose poor people. God chose fat people, skinny people, ugly people, white people, black people, Indian people. All made in the image of God. Peter said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Amen? And he had to learn that the hard way because Peter was a Jew, and he thought that the message of salvation was only for the Jews until one day he's praying, and a knock comes on the door. In the middle of that time, he's seen a sheet come down from heaven and a voice that said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he saw hogs and pigs and all of that, four-footed animals, and he said, Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The Lord said, Don't call what I've cleansed common and unclean. He, he said, Arise, kill and eat. Three times has happened. And the Lord was telling him this had nothing to do with pork. This had nothing to do with food and what you eat. This was God dealing with the prejudice of Peter's heart. He says the third time, arise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The Lord says, don't call what I've cleansed common and unclean. By the way, the knock that you hear at the door, there's three men at the door. I know you ain't gonna like it when you see who they are, but I want you to go with them. They're half-breeds. <laughs> Hello? But I want you to go with them, and he adds this, doubting nothing. I want you to go with them. I want you to go with uh, them down to Cornelius' house. I know you ain't supposed to be down there. Jews are to have no dealings with Samaritans. But I want you to go down there, and I want you to preach the word of the Lord to those people. He goes down there by invitation. He takes a two or three of his cohort with him. While he's preaching somewhere around the fifth paragraph, the Holy Ghost fell in the room, and not only did Peter and his cohort speak with other tongues and prophesy, but those half-breeds began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Peter come back to the church at Jerusalem and he says to the church at Jerusalem, I want these people to be able to come into the church of Jerusalem. They said, they can't come into the church of Jerusalem. They are half-breeds. They are Samaritans. He said, I will tell you what I know. I preached the word of God and somewhere about the fifth paragraph, the Holy Ghost fell on them and they spoke in tongues just like we did on the day we received it. Later he would write, I perceive then, God is no respecter of persons. So let me say this, the situation is the same. They, those people were outcasts. They were not pure blood Jews. But Peter said, if God has accepted them, how can we as the church in Jerusalem, how can we not accept what God has poured out on just like us? I'm gonna tell you something, even in our own church movement, I don't know how, much, how familiar you are with Pentecost, but the Azusa Street Revival, William J. Seymour, black man, was preaching and led that revival. Our own, one of our own higher ups in our own denomination, first of all, went to that meeting at Azusa Street and refused to allow a black man to pray for him. He said, I went back home to the hotel that night and the Holy Ghost wore me out. I went back to the meeting the next day. See, he, he was wanting to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but he wouldn't let a black man pray for him. He said, I come back and Reverend Seymour laid his hands on me and I received and God changed me. Yeah. And that was way back. Now, you gotta think our first general assembly was in 1906. 
So uh, it, it's been a long time back, and they had a long row uh, to plow, so to speak. But I want to tell you something. God is no respecter of persons, and uh, Peter said that. So what is it then that we've got to, to do? I submit to you that you and I have got to act just like Peter did, not before he saw that vision, but we've got to say, you know what? I'm going to preach the gospel to them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to help them. I don't care how rich they are, how poor they are, what color the pigment of their skin is. I'm going to do like Jesus did. Let me give you another example. Turn to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we're going to read the word of the Lord. Then, therefore, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus um, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he needed to go through Samaria. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus needed to come for me. Amen. First of all, to set, set the story, the disciples of John are now jealous because they've heard that Jesus is baptizing more converts than John. What, well, here's what I want to say. They were on the same team. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. They were, on, they were working for the same goal. Hadn't you seen it before where we get jealous of this church or they get jealous of that church or whatever? Are you hearing me? And God's not for all of that, but, but, but they were jealous, and so they wanted to talk. But the Bible says, but Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw a Samaritan woman. She came to draw, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, boy, that's significant that a Jew. Well, you know, I, I know, I, I've been to, um, to, to black houses of worship. I've been to, I'm friends with a lot of black folks, and I don't even like to use the adjective black or white, but it's reality, it's what it is. One day we'll just say I went to church, not a black church, not a white church. You say I just got a friend, not a white friend, not a black friend. But, but suffice it to say, I have seen Jesus sitting around the Last Supper, and there he was, black. I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I raised in a white church. We always had pictures of Jesus sitting around the Last Supper, and Jesus was white. You might even go to, uh, you know, another one, and he might be red. I don't know. But I'm thinking, that, that's ridiculous, because Jesus is not white. He is not black. He was a Jew. He said, I came unto my own, and my own received me not. So Jesus, without a doubt in my mind, had that olive skin and dark eyes, neither black nor white nor red. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, you can like that or not. That don't change the fact that it is what it is. So I know some of you probably have to take that down when you get home, white or black, but get you another rendering the women of Samaria came, or a woman of Samaria came to draw, and he said, give me something to drink. I find that significant in itself that he asked this, this woman to give me something to drink. And the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, in verse 9, ask me a drink? Uh, you ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You know, there's a divide here. It'd almost be like uh, a black man by the well in the 20s 
And a white man come along and said, would you give me something to drink? What? I mean, we don't even drink from the same well, let alone the same dipper. That's the way it would have been. And, uh, but give me something to drink. And he said, um, uh, if you knew the gift of God, who it was who said, give me a drink, you would have asked me or him, he said, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you have that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from himself and his livestock? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will be a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said, sir, give me that water that I may not thirst and have to come here to draw. And he says, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, uh, sir, I don't have no husband. And Jesus said, you have said well. In other words, you sure will tell a guy the truth. <laughs> you don't have no husband, he said, but you've had five. And the one that you're living with right now is not your husband. You've had five, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that, you have spoke truly. <laughs> she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet. And she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that it's in Jerusalem. Hold that slide for a second. What she's saying is, I, I, I see that you're a prophet, and maybe I better leave this alone. Let's just change the subject. Where do y'all worship at? <laughs> you, you don't know too much about me, and there ain't no way you could have knew all that, but you, you got a way of knowing some things that I don't know how in the world, but I got a burning question. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that Jerusalem's where you ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour's coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship Father. You worship what you don't even know, but we worship uh, what we know for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, uh, who, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. I, I'm the one. So, so the deal is this, that we are tasked with showing the same kind of love for our brothers and our sisters and those who are culturally different the same way Christ did for those who were culturally different. God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that we could, so that we could all live, so that none of us had to die anymore. He gave us that. Now, see, I know the heart of God is breaking when he sees a black man die. It's also breaking when he sees a white man die. It breaks when he sees an Asian or an African or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But let me say this. If we're saved, we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? To be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. So listen. So what is it that you want me to do, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. We've got to refocus We've got to refocus 
and we've got to look through the lens that Jesus looked through and we've got to understand that Jesus went out of his way for the rich. He went out of his way for the poor. He went out of his way for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the haves and for the have-nots. He simply said that my will is to do the will of him that sent me. He would later in that same chapter look at the people and, and say to them, he said, you know, it has been said that in four months the harvest will be ready. He said, but I tell you to look upon the fields right now of Samaria and the fields are already white unto harvest. God is ready to reap those fields right now. And so I suggest to you, the church that has, has long, too long, I mean, for, for many years we have looked at black and we've looked at white and the haves and the have-nots and this status and that status. And God says, put all of that aside and get involved in a last day harvest right now together. When will we when will our hearts break for that that breaks his? This is what Jesus modeled for us. He modeled for us that we are to reach out to the Samaritan. We're to re in, in, in modern day to the black man, to the red man, to, to, to the Asian, whoever it is. We're to reach out to them. He said things like this in Luke 6 and 27. But you who are listening, he said, I say, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He said, if someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn again the other also. And if he takes your coat, he said, don't withhold your shirt from him. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes that that belongs to you, don't even demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Doesn't matter what color they are. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Now here's what I want to say. Here's how I want to drive this home. How is it, Pastor, we're going to answer this question. We've talked about the, the impossibility of America. We've talked about the choice of America. Choose you this day. We, we've, and we have a choice of how we can live and how we can act and how we can do. We have volition. The power to will is present with us. The devil did not make you do it. You do what you want to do. So we have this choice. The crisis in America still exists. But here, here's, here's what I want you to know. At the cross of Calvary, at the cross of Calvary, the ground is level. The white man stands no taller than the red. The black stands no taller than the white. We are all his creation at the foot of the cross. And here's what Jesus modeled for us. It was that at Calvary, listen, here's the thing that, that makes you and I, uh, it, it binds us together. There's no way around it. Whether you're white or black or red or Jew or Greek, Samaritan or other, we have one problem. It's a universal problem that affects every last one of us, and that problem is sin. And you know who's right in the middle of it? S-I-N. I. Say it with I. We have a universal problem. And regardless what color you are, we will find ourselves in hell unless we deal with the universal problem of sin. It's affected every one of us. But here's something else that we have that is universal for every one of us and yet absolute. And that is that God 
sent his son, not for only the Jews who rejected him, but to the Gentiles. That's everybody that's not Jew. Are you with me? That's for you. That is for me. All of us who are made in the image of God. God sent his son, and at Calvary, The penalty for sin was put upon Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I. Cursed is every man that hangs upon a tree, and yet Jesus hung upon a tree that you and I should have been hanging upon. Whether we're white or black, we should have hung there, but he took my place. So we have a universal problem called sin, but we have a universal redeemer. And it doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, at the foot of Jesus Christ, at the foot of his cross, kneels a black man, kneels an Indian, kneels a white man, kneels a Muslim, kneels someone that used to love Confucius, kneels some, you know, someone that was a Krishna follower or whatever. But at the foot of the cross, we all can cling to the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood so that we all could live. So sin is universal. No color is exempt. No creed. It plagues every one of us. And the universal solution is Jesus is the remedy. And guess what? On that day, while he was there, I, 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 I want you to know, Jesus modeled what we ought to do. There was Roman soldiers there that beat him to a bloody pulp. His back was laid open. I mean, meat hanged from his body. The only thing, not a bone was broken because that was prophesied. But he, you could see his ribs from, from the backside there. He was laid open with a cat of nine tails. And that meant every lash, 39 strokes, 39 lashes of a cat of nine tails that had nine different uh, leather straps where bone or glass or fragment or whatever was attached to it. And they would come Come down on his back and he took that beating for a black man, for a white man, for a red man, for an Indian. Amen. He took it for all of us that we might become the righteousness of God. That He gave his life that we might have eternal life, that we might have abundant life. Guess who he done it for? Oh, you know what? He had been beaten that day. He, he, he had been brought to the edge of existence. Nobody was ever scourged and then crucified. It was either or, but for him it was both. Oh, the judgment that sin brought. It was poured out on him. So, you know, the other two guys, they, you know, they carried their cross. They hadn't had the beating that Jesus had. But Jesus carrying that heavy cross, stumbled down the Via Della Rosa. So they pointed at Simon of Cyrene. And that black man took that cross and he carried it the rest of the way for Jesus. I read something about him. Historians say that that North African man said, I never well felt the weight of his cross because of the touch of his hand. Jesus holding on to one side of him as he made his way. 
And then they laid that cross down and they spread Jesus out and a Roman centurion nailed his feet together at the end of that cross and they stretched his arms out and nailed his hands. And they stood that cross up. Jesus, while he's laying there, looked up and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They raised that cross up high and it come down with a thud. And he stretched on that cross for every white man, every black man, every red man. He done that for the Roman soldier that just laid his back wide open. He done that for the centurion that wound up thorns and thistles and pushed it down on his head. Tears streaming down, blood mingled with sweat and tears into his eyes. And Jesus died for that man that just plaited that crown on his head. For those three or four soldiers that stripped his clothes off of him, that purple robe, and they began to cast lots on it and gamble for it, as prophesied, Jesus said, forgive them too. He died for them. For the man that said, and 600 men spat in his face, and he died for them. And for the man that ran up and grabbed him by his beard and snatched the beard out of his face, he died for him. And for those that walked by and wagged their heads and said, Thou that buildest the temple in three days, if you are the Christ, come down. He died for them. He died for everyone, regardless of what color, what race, what creed. So where do we go from here? I'm telling you what we do. We take the love of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross of Calvary and we take it to the ends of the earth and say, I love you because you're made in the image of God and I don't care what side of the tracks you came from and I don't care what pigment your skin tone is, what color your eyes are. I love you because you are the creation of God. I want you to know in this political season that we're in right now, that as much as you may agree or disagree, God loves Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine and Donald Trump. Are you hearing me? And Mike Pence and Loretta Lynch. Are y'all here? And Jason Chaffetz and Trey Gowdy. While we're so divided in this and that and the other, God still loves every one of them. I'm not saying we agree with all of them. I'm saying God loves them and died for them. You may stand with me at the foot of the cross. We're on level ground. Ain't no big eyes and no little U's. There ain't no black panther and no white supremacist. All of us was guilty and deserved to die. Not one of us are good. No, not one. But he in whom no guile was found. But he who knew no sin. But he, the spotless lamb of God, John said, slain from the foundation of the world, didn't have to do it. But he did for you and me. 
without regard to race, color, or creed. So our path forward is this. We have to show the world, and it starts with Camden County. It starts right here that we show the world that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we fix our problem, this crisis in America, you and I, as we hold hands together, all kinds of race, color, it doesn't matter. And that we exhibit the love of Jesus Christ and we put it on display for the world to examine. First right here in Camden County, Kingsland, Georgia. That they look at us and they say, guess what? They'll love you regardless who you are. They'll love you regardless what you find yourself involved in. I'm not saying we condone everything. I'm saying we'll love you to the side of Jesus and we'll allow Jesus to change you and whom the Son sets free. He's free indeed. Bow with me in prayer. Father, I love you. I honor you. I've shared your word with your people. Lord, I've obeyed you in this little mini-series. And I implore the church to move on from here. Not to be divided by race, color, creed. But that we say what unites us is the fact that we're all sinners. But that we, always, that we also have a Redeemer. And that we've put our trust in Him. I ask in Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask you if you're across this auditorium and just lift your hands with me right now. Can you sing something for me, Adam? I want us to just lift our hearts in prayer. Praise to Him.